Dr. Karen Goldrick was born in Sydney, Australia. She got her veterinary degree from the University of Sydney in 1987. After graduation, she spent some time traveling and doing locum work in the UK for a few years before returning to Australia. After 10 years in private small animal practice, Karen joined All Natural Vet Care in Sydney in 2005, where she practices to this day. She was certified in acupuncture by IVIS, has studied Chinese herbal medicine at the Sydney College of Traditional Chinese Medicine and Western Herbal Medicine at the Sydney College of Natural Therapies. She has also studied extensively through coursework at CIVT. Please enjoy this conversation as Karen and I talk about her education, practice experience, evolution as an integrated veterinarian, and her advice for new graduates with an interest in integrated medicine. Please excuse the audio quality in the beginning of the conversation. We had a little bit of difficulty connecting Ohio and Australia, but we got it straightened out, and I think the episode is well worth your time. Thanks. Dr. Goldrick, thanks for joining me. Thank you. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Sydney, Australia. Did you have a lot of pets as a child? Not really. Um, Mum was working and there were a few kids and I don't think she wanted the the sort of time um, to look after lots of animals. So we had cats, so one or maybe two cats at a time. That was about it for pets. When did you decide that you wanted to be a veterinarian? That's I've actually been reflecting on that. I think probably in my sort of high school years I started to think about it. Um, I may have been influenced by All Creatures Great and Small, the books, um, and then the TV series. Um, and... Um, but I know the marks were also quite high to get in, um, even back then. And I was sometimes told by my teachers or my peers that I needed to have a second option in case I didn't get the marks, uh, because I I probably wasn't the most brilliant student um, in the in the in the year. Did you have a backup then? Did you have another option? I did. Uh, soil conservation, if, if that makes any sense. I think my, my grandmother put me on to that. And um, I think I was thinking that I might like to work in um, um, sort of wildlife parks um, and do that, that sort of work. So uh, that was going to be my backup plan. But you didn't need it. You got in. Did you, you got in when you wanted well, actually, to? Actually, no, um, I didn't get in initially. Um, and um, I did end up starting to do just a science degree, um, which um, back then veterinary science was a standalone degree, so you didn't do a first degree. So I started to do science um, and I, I just decided not to worry about vet science. But then um, for my year, for our high school exams, they made a mistake marking one of our papers. So about six weeks into university, some of us got a second result because our English paper, they'd made a mistake, they'd missed off a question. Um, and so we all got these remarks and that got me in. So I did manage to get in, ironically, just when they made a mistake on the paper and then remarked our papers. So so that was interesting. Um, but uh, <laughs> because I started so late, I didn't do so well that first year and I had to repeat first year. But anyway, that was fine. First year's a big adjustment though, isn't it? Well, there's a lot. Uh, certainly when we did it in first year, it was actually chemistry that was my undoing. But, you know, you're, you're basically studying all those subjects, those core subjects. You're studying anatomy. 
physiology, histology, uh, pharmacology, biochemistry. Like there's just so many new subjects that you're getting your head around as well as we were doing basic biology, phys, chem, maths, like so much stuff. It was a bit overwhelming. But, but anyway, you know, I wasn't the only one that failed, so I didn't feel, you know, too bad about it. Uh, there were quite a lot of us that ended up having to do that first year again. How big was your class? Do you remember? I think we had about 120 when we started. Um, and if you're going to ask me how many graduated, it was less than that, but I can't remember the exact number. Um, and what was interesting about my year was it was the first year at the University of Sydney where we had slightly more female than male students in our year and I know that since then they've never had more male students in the veterinary degree at the University of Sydney so, so that was just a long time ago yeah yeah that was um 1982 so you know that was the year that we that I started and so yeah we had more females than males that was the first time and uh since then you know I think the percentage of female students has definitely increased substantially I, I don't know what the percentage is now but I believe it's quite high yeah do you get back to school at all um do you mean do I go back to vet school you do yeah do you get by the campus at all or occasionally yeah. we have conference well before COVID we used to have conferences there um from time to time it has been a couple of years so you know from time to time you'll go back and um you'll see you know some of your uni um you know, fellow uni students. Um, we also have had some reunions over the years. Um, the last one, I think, was in 2017, which was wonderful. And um, everyone's still kicking on, which is also really good news. Yeah, that is. So did you have an idea that you wanted, what sort of medicine did you want to practice when you got out of school? Ah, uh, yes, I've been thinking about this as well. And I don't think I really knew. Um, I think I was mostly focused on just getting a job because you kind of feel like when you graduate from vet science that you're not really worthy of getting a job. You haven't really got the skills and it's all a bit terrifying. So I think I really just wanted to get a job, but I didn't feel very confident at all. Um, one of the things that was happening in my life at the time was that my father was quite unwell. He had motor neurone disease. So I knew I had to stay in Sydney. Um, and so that kind of ruled out large animal work for me. Um, and I've never really got into large animal work. Um, but what I actually did, um, which you could do back then, but you can't do now, because I felt so lacking in confidence, I just drove up to the RSPCA, walked in the front door. That's our kind of um, sort of um, charitable veterinary organisation. And I just basically walked in and said, oh, I'm a vet. I just, I'm just here to volunteer. And they kind of looked at me and said, oh, oh, okay. Um, I don't think they were quite sure what to do with me, but they actually let me just be a vet there without pay. Um, and that's how I kind of just learned a lot of my basic skills, like how you actually really do a consultation and how to spay a, a dog or a cat because, you know, I, I really wasn't quite sure when I graduated how to do all these things. So that gave me, you know, some really important grounding skills. And I think that really helped me to get my first proper paying job is that I actually had that experience and I'd, I was there for about three months uh, before I started looking for work, before I felt a bit more confident. Um, and you can't do it now. So uh, sorry to all the new graduates. You can't do that anymore. But um, I just based, I didn't even ring. I just rocked up and said, I'm here. I want to be a vet. I'll be a volunteer for you guys. And they sort of, yeah, I think they were a bit like, oh, okay. All right. All right. Let's do that. And so I, I became a, an unpaid vet for about three months. So that was a, that was a, really 
good step for me. But uh, I still didn't really have any idea of what area. So I think I just started out just learning for the first couple of years what it was like to just be a vet. Um, and I think I discovered that I wasn't a surgeon pretty early on. Um, I yeah. am the sort of person that likes to sit yeah. down and have a cup of coffee and contemplate. And uh, that's not that's not a surgeon. You know, if, you know if the surgery, you've got to make decisions right yeah. away and act on them. And, and you can't just go away because it's too hard and think about it. You've got to finish the job. And so I knew pretty quickly that wasn't for me um, and that I was more interested in medicine. So I, I did start looking into maybe specialising as a feline specialist uh but then when I started trying to study for the exams it was all too you know a lot of work to do so I let that one go and I I actually ended up traveling for a couple of years um just kind of working and traveling so I, something that we were able to do quite easily as Australian vets was to travel to England and work as a vet over there and use that as a base for traveling around Europe so I did what all the other vets did and you know just worked and traveled for a couple of years and um, um, ironically that I think that's um, that's not where I met Barbara Fougere but we had met before that but I certainly did catch up with her while we were traveling um, a lot of my other friends who were vets are traveling and, and working at the same time so we had I had a lot of fun that was a great couple of years in my life um, but yeah I think yeah. the main thing I learned then is um, one of the um, when working in England, they had a very high turnover of consultations. You had five-minute consultations. And so yeah. essentially what wow. you were doing a lot of the time was seeing the patient, giving it corticosteroid, antibiotic, and getting them to come back the next day. And you weren't really getting the opportunity to investigate the problem or to really help them get better for any long-term period of time. You were just pretty much injecting them with dexamethasone and amoxiclav and, and sending them home and getting them back the next day. And that's when I think I realised that I would like to have more time and more options. So I think that was probably the germ of my thinking about more holistic approaches. But but I don't think I had the specific idea of holistic medicine then. I think it was just me thinking, no, I don't like this. In fact, I almost left the profession because I found it really overwhelming at that time and the busyness and the stress of it all. Um, but, um, I came back to Australia. Yeah. I got my first permanent job after being a locum for four years, um, in a practice in the inner part of Sydney. Um, and I worked for, um, a vet who was, I think I said, very challenging to work for in many ways. Um, she was, uh, quite a difficult personality to work for. But I did learn a couple of valuable things from her. I learned um, how to be really thorough and also how to be an advocate for my patient and for my pet owner to try and find the best treatment for them. So I think that was another turning point in my sort of thinking about what I wanted out of my profession and probably started me moving me away from emergency medicine um, and perhaps more into just medicine, uh, but also wanting to learn or find out more treatment options. So not just to have, you know, particularly for chronic health conditions, to have more on offer than antibiotics and anti-inflammatories and to have options for preventative health care. So not just dry food, not just annual vaccination. So I think it started me thinking um, about other sort of ways of um, looking after my patients and 
Um, during that time, and I was there for 10 years, um, I also, you know, I married and started a family of my own. And for my own care and my family's care, I was starting to look for, you know, more natural options. You know, perhaps that's just a when you're pregnant, you start thinking along those lines. I'm not quite sure. But I was certainly starting to look at, um, you know, how to reduce the chemical load in the house and how to be more healthy for myself and, uh, you know, ways of using natural, you know, herbs and natural sort of lotions and things on myself. So I think that then evolved into me wanting to find out more about how I could use that in my veterinary profession. But I was a bit scared because, you know, you're always scared of doing the wrong thing or Mm -hmm. making an animal sick or using something toxic on a cat. Um, And so I guess I started trying to find resources where I could learn not just about holistic care for people but also for you know for 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 pets and and to try and find where those resources were and back in those days and it's probably we're still talking 15 years ago there weren't a lot of options but I did start to uh, find a couple of things and I think another turning point for me was um, our postgraduate um, body now um ran a course in holistic veterinary medicine up in Brisbane. Uh, hmm. And I know that um, I know I had to ask my husband if I could go because it meant leaving him with two little kids for a, a week or so and that was going to be a big deal and taking the time off work was a big deal. And I think that it probably was a combination of me having my first space away from the kids and also just learning this amazing new way of treating pets. And I think both of those things combined for it to be an amazing experience for me, just having that self-time and having um, this new, I learned, you know, how to do acupuncture, a little bit of how acupuncture might help, a little bit about natural feeding, a little bit about Western herbs, a little bit about um, chiropractic adjustments. So just a few small things, just giving me some ideas that, wow, you know, these things really can make a difference. Um, and so, again, I think that was another turning point for me, wanting, you know, just starting to develop a passion for more holistic veterinary care. Um, But, of course, in private practice, in conventional practice, it is quite difficult to apply those skills. Um, My practice underwent um, an owner change at that time and my new owner was very business-driven, financially driven. And I remember when I had a discussion with him about reducing the frequency of vaccinations, he came back to me with a spreadsheet, which was his forecast on the amount of money he'd lose. And he said, that was my job. That was my wage. We'd lose that much money Ah. that that was my wage. So that was pretty much the message that I got working in my conventional practice about, you know, he said he was happy to support me doing a bit of acupuncture on the side, but, you know, basically no way we were going to stop vaccinating or reduce vaccine frequency. You know, I don't think I even dared to talk about reducing the prescription diet recommendations. So I guess that probably showed me that it wasn't going to work out for long working in this environment, this um, sort of conventional veterinary practice. Um, and um, I think the next step was I think um, – Dr. Barbara Fuchsia at that time had set up her practice in Russell Lee, um, all natural vet care with another veterinarian, Dr. Susan Hunter. And I remember calling Susan because I was asking her for advice on a case. Um, And I think I 
got up the courage to ask whether I could come and do some volunteer work. Here's my RSPCA thing again. Here I go. I'm going to go and do some volunteer work. And um, I think Susan very nicely told me that uh, they probably didn't really have the capacity to take on volunteer vets because I think I'm sure she knew that basically I just wanted to learn and they probably didn't really have time to take on vets, you know, to learn. They needed vets to do and to help them out and to, you know, generate income, not vets to learn. And so, um, I can't remember whether it was Susan or Barbara that suggested, well, why don't I just come and work for them? And I thought, oh, well, I can't do that. You know, I don't know anything. How can I come and work yeah. in a holistic practice? I can't do acupuncture. I don't know anything. But eventually what ended up happening through a lots of twists and turns is not only did I go and join and work in the practice, I actually bought into the practice, which was another huge step. Uh, buying into a business uh, that I'd never worked in. But I was so yeah. determined to learn this new area of veterinary medicine that I just jumped in and bought into a practice. It probably wasn't the most sensible financial business decision in my life. Um, but from my professional growth, of course, it's been amazing. So um, that was in 2004. Uh, so I joined All Natural Vet Care, um, left my practice after 10 years, and uh, I'm still there. Um, my kids have grown up, left school, not quite left uni yet, um, and I'm still actually working there now. Um, so I guess that's sort of my evolution. But, but um, of course, during that time, I've trained in veterinary acupuncture. I'm still training in traditional Chinese veterinary herbal medicine, but I've also, you know, absorbed and learned a lot of other skills in natural feeding, in, you know, other sort of physical therapy skills, in managing pets holistically. It's It's been a steep learning curve. And I think as a practice, we've kind of developed protocols for how to be holistic vets and what it means and how you approach cases. And, and it's something that we're still evolving and still learning and I think the the main thing that I find I guess is that first of all I've got a huge toolbox now I have so many options for treating particularly pets that are chronically unwell but also for starting young pets off on and perhaps a better lifeline uh, reducing their chemical load so using preventative health care but as required so assessing the risk for each patient individually rather than just having um standard approach for everybody across the board of course things keep changing and evolving and new illnesses come and we have to rethink what we're doing and there's new information about nutrition and um you know we, we constantly have to keep shifting and changing i guess that's part of the challenge and part of the skill uh but you know basically we we sort of retain i i suppose we call ourselves integrative vets um and i the way i think of it is i've got two hats i've got my conventional hat i've got my more, more sort of complementary hat and i try to approach each, each case where possible thinking about it from both sides um which can sometimes be challenging uh but also i think helps us to make sure we're doing the right thing with the profession with the standard of care but also offering lots of choices lots of options and and hopefully better outcomes for our patients i might take a breath now so how how old was the practice in 2005 when you joined 
I think maybe two years old, so very young. Um, and um, we've since renovated and acquired the premises next door. So we've certainly grown and, you know, over the time, you know, the vet, um, the vets have changed. Um, but, um, yeah, so now we're, um, oh, gosh, I can't even think what year it is now. Um, so you're about 16 years in, it sounds like. Yeah, that'd and be about with right. You, yes. With your time at the practice, yeah. Yeah, so, so I've, I've certainly been there a long time now, yes. So, um, so you were the third veterinarian and then how yes. long were you at the, how long were you at the practice before you went off? You did acupuncture first. Yes. Yeah. I would have done that in my first year there. Um, that was a 12 month sort of course where we had to go down to, um, Geelong in Victoria. So interstate for me, um, on three or four occasions to do like a week's intense practical. Um, and then we did the rest of it sort of online. Um, so um, that, again, that was a wonderful experience because just immersing yourself for a whole week in acupuncture and we were getting up at 6 o'clock at dawn and doing Tai Chi on the lawn and, um, again, you know, I guess for me personally having that space away from my family so that I would just felt quite free. So that probably, you know, made that, that whole experience really amazing and wonderful. So that was the first official qualification that I got. And um, I've certainly done a lot of courses since then, but um, I'm taking my time to actually get official certifications. It's just, um, I guess, between work and family, I, I must admit, I do find it hard to knuckle down and study and finish specific things. So even though I have a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, I don't have a lot of official um certificates at the moment um but um you know I, I do a lot of study in, in co-cancer care you in both convention you know human and the veterinary sort of space and um I am doing courses through the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies which are you know is a wonderful space to learn and was a resource that I didn't have when I first started my journey so it's a wonderful resource um whenever I have students coming through I make sure they know all about it so that they can see that here's a place that they can learn as you know as they become vets and if they want to become holistic vets um but um that was certainly the first qualification and and I think for me um compared to my fellow acupuncture students my my great fortune was that I was able to actively practice acupuncture on a daily basis almost on you know a patient basis um where most of them found it hard to actually get the practice so I felt that I you know was able to get the confidence to use acupuncture very very quickly because I was using it right from the get-go um because that's what you know our, how our practice was set up I didn't have to ask permission that's what the clients wanted and so that's what I was able to do so I know that um, a lot of my students who did acupuncture with me they they didn't really get the opportunity to practice it, which is really sad, or they might have only practiced it on the side or, you know, occasionally. And, and I know for a lot of them that found that they didn't have the confidence to, to use it. And I think I was very lucky that I was in a practice where um, it was just um, expected that I was going to be using my acupuncture. And um, I remember, you know, the first time Barbara encouraged me to do it and to stick needles in using points that I understood. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I can't do this. But, you know, actually you can. So, um, you know, you just have to sort of be, be careful and, and, and think about what you're doing. But it's, you know, something that you can do and you can learn to do as you're studying. It, that's a big deal. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because that was a big advantage for you. I think, I mean, not only being in the practice with Barbara and, and, you know, b being 
like you said, almost it was a requirement that you were going to come back and use it and you got that support. And I think you just see so many young veterinarians who acupuncture, especially they start the course and don't get the support and it just fades, easily fades away, which is a shame. Yeah, that that's absolutely true. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess I knew that I had that advantage at the time when I was, um, doing acupuncture. So I did feel that I had, you know, that privilege that perhaps the others didn't have that I was actually able to practice and, and, um, on a daily basis and, and, um, become very confident. I think that was, that was the key. Cause I think with acupuncture confidence is, is important. And, um, so, you know, that's, that's a tool I still use, um, you know, on a daily basis, um, at, at work, um, in conjunction with lots of other things that we do. So, um, yeah, I was very fortunate, but it was lovely to have Barbara as a as a mentor. Um, but but um, you know, she she didn't tell me things, and I think this is a really this is the teacher in her. She she would give me the resources to go and find out the information that I needed. So, um, but yeah, look, that's we know that that's the best way to learn, um, and um, that um, that that was actually really really valuable as well, um, and. Um, you know, I guess that sort of helped me a little bit when um, I'm mentoring the students that come through that, you know, not to just dump information on them, but to try and give them the skills to find out the things that they want to, to learn. Um, that's a really important skill as well. Oh, yeah. The other thing I wanted to, to ask you, it seems pretty, it's a bit unique when I look at your bio is that you did some studies, your Chinese herbal and your Western herbal studies, you did some with uh, in human medicine. Yes. Um, I think that, um, I mean, now, of course, we've got lots of resources, particularly through the college, but there's also other emerging sort of areas where you can find how to learn these skills in veterinary medicine. But um, I, I guess I was looking at some of the professional naturopathic bodies in Australia and, and particularly for things like co-cancer care and trying to learn about how to help patients who are undergoing chemotherapy and and what are the contraindications and where you can and can't use herbs or antioxidants so I had a thirst for trying to find that information out so um, I have done some you know sort of additional kind of work looking into particularly co-cancer care um, in um, through through some of the sort of professional naturopathic bodies in in Australia um, and um, just kind of looking at some of their forums as well and trying to bring that back to the sorts of patients and the situations that we see here. So, um, you know, there are, of course, differences and we know that we've got to be a little more careful with our patients and we know that dogs and cats aren't just, you know, kind of four-legged people. But um, some of the principles and the herb-drug interactions and things are are the same. So I think that's also been quite valuable. Of course, it gets overwhelming. I think now what I'm finding is a bit too much information and I'm actually trying to train myself not to feel like I have to learn everything and do every course that there is and really just, you know, try and sort of actually almost pair things back to, you know, just a few resources and a few skills because um, I think I'm finding as I get a little older that it gets a bit overwhelming. I can't remember it all. And I, yeah, now I'm sort of not seeking every course. I'm just trying to pull back and just focus on a few areas and just try and brush up on a few or, you know, get better at a few things and not feel that, uh, for instance, I don't do homeopathy. I've just, just, it's not that I don't believe in it. I just don't think I have the brain space for another, a whole new modality. So, so there are things that I'm just going, no, that's not for me. I'm just going to focus on Chinese herbs, physical therapies, nutrition, 
they're the things I, I enjoy and like, maybe Western herbs to a certain extent, but I'm not feeling like I have to learn everything anymore. That's that's really, you know, a lot of times I'll sit around, you think about just the explosion of knowledge in veterinary medicine in in total. And then when we take our little bit, our little slice of holistic medicine, and you're right, it can be very overwhelming to just, I mean, you just rattled off three or four different modalities. And even to try to stay current with those is an incredible load. It is. And and I think I'm allowing myself not to not to have to know anything, everything anymore. I'm, I'm giving myself permission now that I don't have to know everything. Um, you know, things I don't know, I can find out, but I don't feel like I have to try and be the person that knows everything there is to know anymore. So I'm allowing myself, I think this is a sign of getting a little older, permission not to learn everything. And ironically, Neil, I was actually just looking at our bookcase at work yesterday and on the bottom shelf, I saw my two volumes of veterinary internal medicine, Ettinger, that I would have had um, when I was at university. And at the time, that was that was the epitome of veterinary knowledge. If you had read those two books, you knew all there was to know. And I thought, oh, those were the days, you know. Now it's just overwhelming how much knowledge there is and how fast it's changing. You know, back then, new book came out every couple of years. So, you know, that was it. That was all you had to know, what was in that book, just those chapters. And so I guess there's an advantage, but there's also a disadvantage, I think, with the explosion of of information. Um, And so I feel now I have to pare it back and try not to overcomplicate things because I think that that's that's one risk in life and in veterinary medicine and in holistic medicine is it can be really overwhelming trying to be on top of everything. and, And I certainly don't think I can. I think that's really healthy. Uh, you and I are of similar ages, <laughs> practiced in our careers, and um, I mean, I mean, let me ask you: Has it? Does it feel like it's just flown by? Where? How do you feel about where you are right now? I I don't know. I think that's a philosophical question in many ways because that's almost asking: Does it feel like my life has just flown by? And I think sometimes yes, and sometimes no. Um, you know, um, you know, I've got a family as well, so that you know I can kind of categorize my life through the kids growing up and their progression as well as my professional progression and sometimes yeah I think it has just flown past and it's almost like just yesterday that I came into the practice with my little five-year-old daughter and you know sort of looked at the the walls and thought wow I I'm part of this now I own this you know I own part of this to where I am now and and I guess I'm also thinking not only where I've been and how fast that's gone, but what is to come. And um, I don't like to make too many plans. And I think now in 2021, we all know that uh, making too many plans is not always going to work out. So I do tend to just kind of see what happens. But I suppose I've also got to have a little bit of a vision of, of where I go from here and what that looks like. What, how have your responsibilities changed at the practice? Your, your medical director? Yes. What's your title? Oh, I think I'm the practice superintendent, but I'm not really doing, you know, a lot of the business management side of things, a bit like surgery. I think I worked out early on. um, In fact, when I first joined the practice, that was going to be one of my responsibilities was actually to do some of the management and bookkeeping side of things. And again, we all worked out early on that perhaps that wasn't my area of expertise. So um, I have to say that I don't do a lot of the real sort of business management. Um, I guess as um, a co-director, I have a say in the human resources side of things and have to do a little on that side of things. Um, I don't do a lot of the marketing. 
Um, I, I, I think, um, you know, I just have to kind of um, look at uh, what are the things I can do and what are the things I can't do. Um, and some of those business skills are not my, again, my area of expertise. But one thing I do do and I've been doing for a long time is I, I like to write. Writing is one of my um, one of my sort of little hobbies and I do some sort of, I suppose you'd call it professional writing. So I do write a column for a magazine, Wellbeing Magazine, which is a, it's a human um, sort of holistic magazine that's quite well known. I've been writing for them since 2006, so then quite a long time but I do write like a veterinary a regular veterinary column for them and I've written other articles for you know various magazines from time to time um at one stage I was actually editing a journal for the um the Botanical Veterinary Medicine Association I'm not even sure if they're still around to be honest um I no longer do that I did that for several years um and so I guess that's sort of where I that that's the other area that I sort of delve into is a little bit of writing and um that's maybe where I may do a little more you know as time goes on if if the opportunity comes up and pull back a little from clinical work um my I my husband and I have a property in another state (laughs) which we didn't think was going to be a problem until COVID um we are currently separated by a hard border um, but ultimately I want to spend more time by down there and work more remotely. Um, and, uh, again, that, that was a nice plan and that was actually starting to work quite well until all of this happened. But anyway, that's, uh, everyone's, uh, facing their own challenges with COVID and, um, others have got many more challenges than I do. So, so I guess that's just the way it is. I wanted to ask you, we started, we were talking a little bit about how your day to day is going now with the lockdown, but. Mm-hmm. So you you mentioned the you know the distance you can travel for work. So does that affect any of your employees? Do they live further than the, re- oh, than the mandated look, I distance? I think um, again, it's a <laughs> we haven't got firm guidelines here in our state, and uh, I won't go into that because that's a debate that's currently happening. But for essential work, which veterinary practice, I believe, is in fact no one really knows what essential work is at the moment. But yes, they, anyone can practice. You, you can travel to go to work. What we can't do, like. One of my other hobbies is ocean swimming. I love ocean swimming. And sadly, the closest I can get to the ocean is 13 kilometres right now. I cannot go to the beach uh, to swim. I love swimming. Even though it's winter, I love it. So I'm feeling very sad about that. So you can't go out of your 10K for your essential exercise or to go to the shops uh, unless you live, you know, in a remote community and you have to travel 30K to the shops. Of course, that's different. Um, but it, it is confusing. Like, you know, no one really knows what, what the guidelines are. We kind of just, they're a little bit open to interpretation, but you can come to work. Um, and in fact, our clients, um, for, for our practice do come to us from, you know, further than 10 Ks. And I guess the argument is that it's essential to take your vet for vet your pet for veterinary care. So it's a little bit open to interpretation. We haven't got hard specific guidelines about that at the moment. Um, but you know, like I know I can't go to the beach, (laughs) That I um, maybe I'll sneak there one morning before sunrise, and hopefully no one will catch me. <laughs> there you go. So you we, you talked around it a little bit, but you know the practice has got uh, if I do my math, maybe like eighteen years now. Do you have mm-hmm. to you, do you have to do much marketing? I assume you've got a really 
a really good reputation and people probably find you by word probably of mouth? Not too much. I mean, I think, um, you know, word of mouth is very valuable. Um, I, I do, you know, we do have to have an online presence because um, I guess um, holistic practice, you know, veterinary practice, one thing that people seek us out for often quite urgently is when their pet's diagnosed with something quite serious like cancer, um, they'll go online and quickly search for natural treatment for cancer. And, um, you know, sometimes they'll end up purchasing products on an online sort of business where they haven't had their pet, you know, really properly holistically assessed. So we need to have a good online presence. So then instead of doing that, they come to us and we can look at them both from the conventional veterinary perspective and what the, you know, health issues and what the treatments and what the interactions might be, as well as the complementary supporting um, approach. So we do have to have a pretty good online presence, um, but, you know, we, we don't have to go around handing out pamphlets and sending out mail outs or anything like that. Word of mouth is certainly probably our number one um, way that we obtain our clients. Um, we, we have, I guess, a model of practice where we don't have, we, we have a percentage, I think it's about maybe 30%, I'm not quite sure, that are local clients. So they're ones who live around us, who come to us maybe for their day-to-day the -day stuff. But the majority of our clients have, I guess, a healthcare team. So they have us, they may have their local vet, they may have a specialist vet as well. Um, and so they'll come to us for the chronic healthcare. They'll go to their local vet, you know, if, if you know, for an ear infection or, a, you know, the cut their foot on an oyster shell or something like that, um, and then to the specialist for their cancer care or, or whatever else they're getting done there. So we have, I guess, more of a unique model where we do tend to see chronic health conditions and, and perhaps not so much. I don't think I've seen a cat fight abscess for 15 years. So I guess that gives you an example of the kind of patients that we see. Um, so there you go. Um, so yeah, so in other words, they have to come from, you know, a long way away. We have a lot of clients who come to us from well over 10 kilometres. Um, and so at this point in time, that seems okay. We do telemedicine as well, but I do feel that, you know, it is better where we can to see our patients. But for for owners who can't travel, for owners who aren't comfortable travelling at the moment, um, we are doing telemedicine as well. And we're doing drive-by at the moment, which means that, unfortunately, the owners can't actually come into the building with their pets. And that creates its own stress. Um, some of the patients are not comfortable with that, um, but that's what we have to do at the moment to keep, to keep us and to keep our clients safe. You bet. All right, before I let you go, one more thing. Um, so now kind of where you're at in your practice life, what advice would you have for younger veterinarians starting out in holistic medicine? Okay. Um, I, I guess when, and this probably comes back to the vet students, we, we get a lot of vet students coming through for their um, sort of um, practice placements. And I, I guess I do generally tell them actually to probably spend a couple of years just getting to, to learn to be a vet because that is in itself quite a difficult thing to do. There's a lot to learn. Um, rather than embarking on acupuncture or, you know, long, complicated herb courses. I think it's really important that they just, in practice, learn how to do a consultation, try surgery, you know. Of, of course they can, you know, there. I think there are some in introductory courses that they can do and, and they can certainly know to refer to us or, or contact us for guidance. But I think it's important to spend a couple of years really trying to cement that veterinary knowledge and also just to work out who you are as a vet and what you think your interests are. Um, and then I guess I just get them to look at the College of uh, Integrative Veterinary Therapy site and, wow, 
you know, off you go. You know, you can you can really go a long way there. You can, you know, do short introductory courses, you can do more in-depth courses. So so that's the way, that's what I usually advise people, you know, certainly students starting out. Um, if people are contacting us because they want to, you know, they've been a vet for a couple of years and they want to know where to go, then again, I usually do just refer them to the college because I, I think that that's the best place to begin your training. Um, in, in holistic care and and we there are forums there are there's a Facebook group of um, Australian holistic vets so there are certainly forums and things that they can join as well or just read and look and learn that way so there's those as well but I just think it's a bit overwhelming um, we we once did have um, an amazing uh, funny vet student who did her placement with us and she then actually started working for us as a vet nurse because we were short of vet nurse while she was looking for her job. And then we actually ended up employing her as a vet and she certainly was amazing. And and during her first year as a vet, not only did she tackle being a vet, but she actually tackled the acupuncture course as well. And she was able to do that. Um, But I think that was the exception. And I think for most people, it's really important to just really focus on one thing and just how to be a vet rather than trying to specialize as a holistic vet so early on. I think that's great advice. Well, Karen, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I, sh- I sure wish you I, well. I apologize for the tech issues. Yeah, no problem at all. And I uh, hope we can speak again soon. Thanks, Neil. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.